Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that you rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Those are verses 73 to 80 of Psalm 119, verses 73 to 96 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, November the 2nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus today in chapter 43, verses 23 to 33. In Luke's gospel, we are in chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, and then in the book of the Revelation, chapter 16, verses 1 to 11. Is finally, it feels like the last several days, it feels like the, the readings have been so long that they've been hardly manageable as far as trying to get everything done within the time I sort of halfway allot myself. But so today it feels a little more manageable. So by his plan, God's plan, he stilled the deep and planted islands in it. So there's some knowledge there of of the way that the world works. But to say that God stilled the deep is a powerful statement that God stilled the deep, is to speak of the great control that he has over all things. It's one of the most powerful statements of his sovereignty, I think, that you can see. And and the sovereignty of God has, has long been, for me, the single most important doctrine outside, obviously, that which has to do with redemption, which has to do with the cross and all that. But but to know that God is in charge of all things and to know that even in the time that, that Jesus is on the cross and all of that, that God is sovereign and in control of all things is even then a comforting doctrine. But to me, it's probably the single most comforting thing to know is that nothing is outside the reach of God's control. Nothing happens that he doesn't either cause or allow to happen. And, and so that's what this is about today. Those who sail the sea tell of its dangers, and we marvel at what we hear. In it are strange and marvelous creatures, all kinds of living things, and huge sea monsters. Because of him, each of his messengers succeeds, and by his word, all things hold together. This statement about each of his messengers succeeds, it, the, one of the interesting things there is, is that the word for angel is actually the messenger. An angel is a messenger. And so when he says, because of him, each of his messengers succeeds, is he speaking there of angels? Is he speaking of, of their angelic duties being fulfilled because of God? We could say more, but we can never say enough. Let the final word be, he is the all. Indeed. I don't know, and that's exactly right. We could say more, but we can never say enough. And so he is the all, A-double-L, is the most powerful statement that we can make. Where can we find the strength to praise him? For he's greater than all his works. Awesome is the Lord and very great, and marvelous is his power. Glorify the Lord and exalt him as much as you can, for he surpasses even that. When you exalt him, summon all your strength and do not grow weary, for you cannot praise him enough. Who has seen him and can describe him? Or who can extol him as he is? Many things greater than these lie hidden, for I have seen but few of his works. For the Lord has made all things, and to the godly he has given wisdom.
I mean, I love that passage because what it's saying is, is that that no matter how much you praise him, no matter how high you exalt him, it's not enough. You can praise him for all his works, but he's greater than than each of his works and he's greater than the sum of his works because there's a wisdom that's behind the creation of all his works. There's also a power that's beyond that, that the, the ability to speak things into being and have them be exactly as you intend them and to continue to control those things and hold together all things, the, the wisdom to create in such a way that, that life is a product and, and that it, it's not just a product, but it's sustainable life because things are in particular orders with one another because the the strong magnetic or the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force and the all the other things the, the gravity and everything else that's necessary to hold everything in the proper tension so that life can exist and be supported on this earth is a remarkable thing and we're just a tiny 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 little piece of God's creation and then into that comes us. And that's how you can sit with David pondering as a shepherd, up, looking up into the sky, seeing what only the naked eye could see, much less what we can see with powerful microscopes, or not microscopes, but telescopes today. And David's pondering what he can see and observe and asking, what is man in the midst of all of that? And the answer is given at the cross. What is man? God's beloved image bearers to the world that he wants to be together with throughout eternity. And so so we can exalt him, we can praise him, we can do all these things, and at the end of the day, still barely scratch the surface of his greatness and his wonder and his majesty. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on a Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman there who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. You know, I I don't know about you, but I've certainly seen women like that, known women like that in my life. There was a woman that lived up the street from my grandmother when I was a kid. My grandmother uh, had—well, my uncle owned it, actually—a grocery store in an area of Chattanooga known as Highland Park, and, and it's a, it was a tiny little family grocery store kind of a thing, you know, back, and so it was barely hanging on, essentially. Well, up the street from her was a lady named Miss Bivens, and I used to carry Miss Bivens' um, groceries home for her sometimes whenever she would come to the grocery store, and um, she was humped over like that, and, and I still remember her to this day. She was a little woman to start with, and then she was just completely bent over with a thing on her back. And and I've seen so many people over time, and I see people all the time, even today, who you can see are suffering with afflictions like this, and, and, and you would just pray for them, Lord, relieve that person's burden, you know, and, and I always want that. But it but it's also something that, that we carry, all of us carry something in our lives, probably, that that is encouragement to other people. Because it's also a reminder that everything's not perfect in life and that that there's burdens that everyone carries and we're intended to help carry one another's burdens. So this woman is there and Jesus saw her. He called her over and said to her, woman, you're freed from your disability. I would love to have that power, but the problem is I don't have the discretion (laughs) to use it wisely. Jesus didn't heal everybody. He, he, that it, it doesn't mean that everybody doesn't get healed because ultimately all who believe in Christ Jesus are completely and fully healed. Every tear is wiped away. It, it's it's all perfectly fine. But 
but if I did it, I would be indiscriminate too often in its use. Jesus sees something in the people that he heals that you and I don't see. He sees something there that makes them to be the people he chose to heal. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Let me go back and reread one more time what we read when we meet this woman. There was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Do you suppose that she had never been on the in the synagogue on any day other than a Sabbath? Well, nobody had healed this woman for 18 years. Jesus happened to be there teaching on a Sabbath, sees her, and the opportunity to be healed is there. And so it happens, and it happens on the Saturday, on the Sabbath. And, and Luke doesn't tell us what synagogue we're in here. But what an idiot for this guy to stand up and say, there's six days on which work ought to be done. Come up some other day and be healed. Really? This is the first time she's ever been in your synagogue? And it just happened that it was a Sabbath, and, and otherwise you would have taken care of this. Right. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? That's work, untying and leading it to water. And, and, and so it's not to be done except you can do it to preserve or save life. And it's important that, that every living creature have water. And so it's permissible to do that. He said, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You loose your oxen in order that it can have water, and it's an ox at the end of the day. And now you would criticize this woman being loosed in the same way from a binding that Satan had had on her for 18 years. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. You know, it, I, like I said, there's so many times before that we, when we served in Pauly's Island and served in that church, we saw so many incredible healings. We saw things that nobody could ever believe. We saw an incredible healing with Will. He was not supposed to survive that, but he did. He did, in spite of the medical profession's um, protestations about that. Now, we all are going to die, and so we're heartbroken still to this day that, that we've lost him. But, but the miracle that we got so far exceeds that sorrow and the people that this brought either into our lives or back into our lives it exceeds so much it's, it's this great mercy and love of god that we've received we he, he has he, he 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 may have taken will to himself but he's given us so many other people none of them are going to replace will but, but he's filling our lives and if we allow him to do that if we allow ourselves to be open to God's sovereignty, that he's not trying to harm us. He's trying to fill our lives and expand our tents, not take away and not minimize. I, I've got a friend who, um, whose mother is, has, was, she had a stroke a few years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, and he and his wife lived with her and took care of her during that period of time. And, and so her life was very small for two years, but she was at home, and that was all that really mattered to her. But 
now that it's they moved her into an assisted living facility and, and she's bitter because well they're not taking care of me but the problem is 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 that she has so many more avenues for socialization and so much more time that she could spend with other people do more things than she could under the old circumstance but she can't get away from her sense of loss to see the new vista that's in front of her and too often we can be like that we can foreclose the opportunity to participate in god's great blessings because we're still mourning the loss of something else. And, and that's not the way life works. It's not the way life is. We've got to continue to move on. We've got to continue to look at every new thing, every change. And I'm not saying change is easy, but we've got to look at these things as, as an opportunity for God to expand our horizons, not to narrow them. In the Revelation passage, then I heard a loud voice from heaven telling from the temple, sorry, telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And that, that's reminiscent of, the, um, of what happened to, uh, in Egypt, right? The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Now, this angel in charge of the waters thing, there's two different waters that have happened here, the sea and then the rivers and the springs of waters. And so who is this angel of the waters? Well, I, I never knew this, but it was, I did a little research on it. There, there's a, an old belief, particularly in Catholicism. Um, I didn't look, frankly, to see whether it was true in Judaism or not. But, but there is an old persistent belief that Gabriel is particularly the angel in charge of the waters. Now, that, that's all I have to say about that. I didn't do a lot of research on it. I looked into it, and some of it made some sense to me. Some of it didn't. Um, but but the, the angel in charge of the waters is now looking at everything that he's in charge of being completely defiled, and he understands why. He understands that that the blood that's being poured out here, the blood that now becomes what what must be drunk, because everything must have water. Remember, we just talked about in the in the gospel st- um, passage today. Um, so now the the waters have been defiled, and so something's got to be done about that. But but he but the angel in charge of the waters said, "This is just. This is just because of the blood of the saints and the prophets that they have shed." And now they can they should see this is exactly what happens. And and that can also be seen, by the way. You you can interpret that passage right there and that statement right there as as very true in the Nile, when the, the Nile is turned to blood. And then the the sort of justice that served when the water closes over Pharaoh and his army as well, because how were they killing those Hebrew babies? They were throwing them in the Nile. And so when the Nile is turned to blood, you know, uh, drowning is a bloodless crime, and the evidence is gone immediately. And this was a big thing in Rwanda during the genocide, where when they went to the Akagera Gorge up near the uh, Tanzanian border, and they would throw bodies into the river there, throw people into the river, and then bodies as well to get rid of the evidence. 
And so it, here in, in this one, when it says the blood of the saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink, that should remind you of the Nile into which the Hebrew babies were cast, covering up the, the crime. And then when God turned the water to blood, then it revealed the crime. The bloody Nile revealed the crime of Pharaoh killing the Hebrew children. And then I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the response from heaven coming from the altar in heaven was, was an amen to the word of the angel in charge of the waters. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And, and one of the things that we hear about that have to do with actual climate change in the long term are, are solar flares, and, and the sun will increase. And that, that will ultimately be absent God's action, the end of everything is when the sun's activity heats up so much that life can no longer be sustained. In fact, it will destroy life. That which gives life, which makes things grow and all that, will ultimately be the thing that takes life. And that's exactly what's happened here. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. They weren't giving him glory for his creation of those things. They weren't thanking him for the great benefits that they received from the waters, from the, from the sea, from the uh, rivers and the springs of water, from the sun itself. No. They're like Jonah, right? I mean, that, that, that he rejoiced over the, the plant that grew up over him, the vine that grew up over him, and then it died. Now he's cursing and he's angry with God because the plant died, and that's exactly what they're doing here. They don't recognize God in his creation. They don't, they don't recognize him as the creator of the Son who, who put all these things in perfect harmony so that we could have life and not only have it but also enjoy it. Nope, they're only going to curse him when it's gone. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Now, pain and sores wasn't a permanent affliction, right? They had not experienced it before this. I mean, the people experienced pain and sores, but not these kinds of pain and sores. And so they weren't thanking God for the lack of those things, but now they're cursing God for the things that happened. And that is so clearly the case. When things go well, nobody wants to give thanks to God, but as soon as things go badly, things, things go wrong, out of order, whatever words you want to use, the first thing they, they want to ask is, how could a good God allow this? Well, why don't you give him credit for all the good that you've experienced, and then let's talk about the bad, and let's talk about that later. Nope, that's not the way it works. For too many people, he's only recognized when things are bad, and now they want him to explain why things aren't the way they expected them to be. Well, if we can't praise him for his sovereignty, then we don't have the right to question him when, it, when he is sovereign in a way that we don't appreciate.